0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mild Mannered Army podcast with me, Mild Mannered Max. And of course, I will be joined by my very good friend, Mr. Nick Ames, author, journalist, cultural commentator. And uh, this evening, we're going to be talking about an album that will shortly be celebrating its 25th anniversary. Uh, and that occasion will be marked with a huge party in London held by Nick and I's very good friends at Starshape, where there will be a live Oasis covers band. Alan McGee is going to be there in conversation with Rob Fideman from Britpop TV. The whole event is going to be uh, hosted by our other good friend, uh, James, from the Oasis podcast. And then there will be a Starshape party long into the night. It can only be one album, of course, and that is the debut from Oasis. Definitely, maybe. Good evening, Nick.
1: Good evening, and happy birthday. Happy birthday.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Claire Grogan, the stuff that dreams are made of. Absolutely.
1: And um, uh, you just mentioned Alan McGee then, and it's one of hmm. these uh, one of the um surprising things which cropped up in the creation stories which they're currently filming. And I'd never knew that Bobby Gillespie was a roadie for altered images.
0: Did you know that? I didn't know that. I mean he's he's such a peculiar character, Bobby Gillespie, isn't he? I mean, yeah, he's...
1: I love him. I love him, he's great.
0: He's been everywhere. Mm-hmm. He's been everywhere. He's been in the Jesus and Mary chain. He's, you know, a drummer here. He's a roadie for all our images. He, he strikes me, Nick, as one of those people who has made it happen.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. He's a, he's know- a, he's a great guy. I think he's fantastic. And he's, uh, yeah, been uh, up and down and round the corners and uh, he's still here. And uh, yeah, the scream. They still make great stuff. So, yeah, I was super surprised about that. And I wanted to drop that in and to wish you all the best on your special day before we go into this. So there you go.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, this is, of course, Definitely Maybe, which obviously is the the, the debut album from Oasis. It's released way back in 1994, which just seems so ridiculous. And one of my abiding memories of definitely maybe is of going home from university on a Friday and there must have been something odd that weekend because I I, I normally would have headed to Dundee to see my then girlfriend and spend the weekend in Dundee but Instead, I was in Kirkcaldy, I was invited to play five-a-side football, and I had recorded the album on a C90 cassette for the Walkman for the Bus Journey Home. And I remember putting it in my, the cassette player of my dad's car and saying to my dad, listen, you, you've got to listen to this. I, th- I think you're really going to like this. And you could hear the, the hiss and the crackle, and then Rock and Roll Star started. And we'll get into that later. And my dad, when it finished, he hit the stop button, and he was just blown away by it. You know, this is a man who's a... a original mod, you know, 1960s mod, proper mod as well. And he loved it. He was blown away by it. And it's it's a real strong memory for me, that, of Definitely Maybe the fact that it bridged the generations between mm. me and the kind of Britpoppers and then my mum and dad's generation. And yet it didn't sound particularly old-fashioned or retro. You know, it was, the thing about Definitely Maybe was it wasn't some kind of awful lambretta's mod revival style album it was just a classic rock and roll album
1: yeah absolutely absolutely yeah um for me uh it, it starts way back well not way back it's like before it's released so in the same year 94 uh it starts in that that march when uh, oasis debuted on tv on the word
0: Give it up for Oasis, making their TV debut with Supersonic.
1: I remember it so well which is surprising considering where I was and what I was doing at the time but it would be yeah it would be fair to say that back then I wasn't the paragon of virtue that I am today yeah it was late Friday night I was around at uh, what we would probably call a local entrepreneur's house and uh, yeah I was a little altered when it came to the state of mind but I remember it really clearly as it was yesterday and then Liam basically climbed out of the television and obviously it seems like that as well and to th- do th- th- deliver that song, and I was sold from that moment. In all honesty, I don't think I started to follow Oasis religiously until one of my big gig regrets, and that was um, they played the Norwich Art Centre on June the 6th, so a couple of months or a few months later, and I missed it. And I don't know how that passed me by, because I was pretty much dialed into every venue in the city at the time. It should have showed up on my radar, and I was interested, but it didn't. So... I don't know what happened there, but I missed them. And then they released Shake and Make a week after that. And then in August, Live Forever came out. And then at the end of that month, out came the album and then everything changed. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know what happened for you, but I, I really noticed things really change. Not in that moment with the release, but for maybe, I don't know, April when Park Life came out. That 94, the start of that summer, kind of the spring to summer 94, and then in August, which um, definitely maybe came out, it became very obvious that there was a change. Something very, very clear happened. And I don't know if you have any memories of that. Well,
0: I, I have any, a very similar story to yours there actually is that which is another one of these things that kind of binds us together i also remember that word performance the, the the word maybe for people who are too young to remember or for people who didn't live in the uk was this outrageous in all sorts of ways television program a friday night and it was really kind of your pre-going out ritual right yeah absolutely whether you were at a local entrepreneur's house or in my case I'd have been around at my friend uh, Chrissy's house in Edinburgh getting ready to go to the egg at the wee red bar at the Edinburgh College of Art and we would always watch the ward and they would have a variety of guests and they would ply a guest with alcohol so you would get outrageous TV moments and I remember watching Oasis then but it wasn't until shaker maker that i really tuned in i I didn't Mm. buy supersonic which is odd because i really liked supersonic but it was shaker maker for me as well and the thing that really clinched it for me was the b-side you want to be a spaceman
2: trees, to
0: fly to wanna be a space man And live in the sky It just sounded like a real song I don't know what that even means And I also missed them on tour Round about that point I think I was too tuned into the Blur thing I think I was finding it difficult to see past that I think I'd decided that Blur were the most important band Arguably ever for me at that point and so that kind of stopped other things having the kind of impact that maybe they should have had. Although we might get into whether or not it would have been a good thing to, to allow the whole Oasis thing to have that kind of impact. But yeah, that that definitely is a very similar story, Nick. I, I Yeah, I missed the, that tour. I missed... Mm. I miss seen them with White Out, which is a real regret of mine.
1: Ah, uh, mine too. Mine too. I love White Out.
0: Tonight, a band from Glasgow, and it's their debut single and their debut TV appearance. Often works that way. White Out with no time. <laughs>
1: I'm really, uh, it's another one of my regrets, but we could go on forever about <laughs> regrets of who not, uh, we haven't seen when we really wanted to. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, all this is kind of happening for me at a huge kind of time of upheaval. We've talked about this on various other albums when we've talked about, it. they They come at times when you know, things are changing and then they mean a lot more. They, or they're part of um, a life episode and that makes them resonate more. And And this, this kind of happens to me, as well with definitely maybe I mean I'd finished my first year at college and it was the summer and I was working the summer on construction sites and you know earning enough to move out of home for the first time and move into a shared death trap with three friends from college and I would split up with my girlfriend before the summer had begun so this was another reason to like throw myself into this mission to kind of carve out a new life and identity and I noticed while I was working on these building sites that the music was changing on the radio and uh you know I hadn't gone unnoticed when we went back to college it was quite clear that you know something was something had changed in those few weeks or a couple of months in between I mean the first year I started had ended with a sniff of something in the air and we'd started college in 93 so a few people had been into suede and I was into I was into blur with the um modern life is uh, rubbish album so it looked a bit severe given like the baggy hangover that most people had or that attempted kind of thrift shop foppery but by the time we rolled back through the gates kind of in august september 94 you know we had our own keys to the house jangling in our pockets but the change was obvious you know everyone was down and out in adidas puma they were in anoraks there were feather cuts mop tops you know, and this was like the direct result of having Park Life released in April and definitely maybe in the week before that or the week before we started back. I mean, yeah. And people, people's images, attitudes and lives had literally changed in the space of six months. You know, their, their music taste had suddenly like gone from this kind of post shoegaze, early Britpop climate into something fully blown or at least this embryonic thing, which had had enough legs to inspire them to change the way they looked and you know, acted and you know and that first day back I remember there was this Freshers Fair on and there was this store which was selling those huge fly posters you used to be able to get, you know, the ones you used to advertise the albums. And uh so I bought the Definitely Maybe one and it went up in the in pride of place in my new bedroom after that. And uh yeah, the rest is history.
2: Well we were going back to Bonehead's the answer where we'd on the cover mm-hmm. was uh... Particularly strange. That was it, Bonehead's house, was it? Yeah, but I think he's. I think he sold it now. But the people kindly let us go in there and do some photographs. And, uh, and what was that like? It was weird as to how small it was, but it hadn't, it hadn't changed that much. They still had the little. Um, no, but you know what Bonehead done? You see the little stained glass thing? Oh, we've there? got it
0: here in front of us now, yeah.
2: He uh, by the windows. When he sold fingers, the house, yeah. he, took the, he, he took he took the stained glass. He took glass the, <laughs> the tight <entire house. laughs> real. Like, where's the stained glass thing <laughs> someone's going, oh, he took it with him.
0: <laughs> if, if, sorry, I don't want to give away everything that's in the DVD, but there's a fantastic story where talking about the glass of red wine
2: Yeah, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> it's a glass of ribena. <laughs> oh. we were we were sat there and uh, there wasn't enough and we thought it'd be a bit of a cliche to have like six cans of Stella and in, uh, in the things So someone said what about a glass of red wine and we literally couldn't afford the four quid between the five between the seven of us to go and get a bottle of red wine and I think I went and got two cans of ribena, <laughs> drunk one myself on the way back i stuck the other one in a glass. And I, even look, and I look at it now and I think, <laughs> it's highly unlikely that we would be sat around me and Liam right, kind of watching television and...
0: Like glass Coughing them yeah. like mine.
2: yeah'
0: you like a nice canter young man. That iconic front cover of Definitely Maybe. Yeah. You know, because there's so much going on there and nothing particularly surprising for people anymore, you know, but n- nice little... You know, in film studies, they talk about intertextual references, right? So a character yeah, yeah, yeah. says something that's a link to another film, right? Whatever. And there's lots of nice little intertextual references dotted around the, the front cover. Left to right, you've got the cigarettes and alcohol, which yeah. is just a nice little nod to the, the song. And I think it says something about the mindset of the band at that point. You know, it's it's very much a, a rock and roll gesture, right? Everybody's got a glass of wine not too far away. There's a packet of Benson and Hedges, whatever it is, that's lying beside them. Then you've got the Burt Bacharach. Poster
1: You see the sky the sky is in love with you.
0: Yes, sir. can only have been chosen by Noel
1: I would assume so too
0: yeah I would, I would have thought that Noel would have turned up with that and then you've got little picture of George Best because somebody's a Man United fan
2: George Best I can see him coming at me from across the stage the eyes are glazed and I knew the worst had happened <laughs> he'd shunted down several bucketfuls in about five minutes so he comes across to me and he's as drunk as a skunk
1: Terry I like screen,
2: all right? <laughs> <laughs> all right? So what do you do with your time these days? Screw it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, George,
0: Bonehead. Bonehead's the Man United fan, is he? Yeah, Bonehead's the yeah. Man United fan. Must have made life very difficult being in that band. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there's a set of photographs in um, Jim For- uh,
1: Jill Firmanovsky's Was There Then? photo um book where um i think they're watching uh i think it's the the penultimate match of the the premiership season where blackburn play liverpool and whoever wins or, or loses that either gives blackburn the, the championship or hands it to man united and it ends up with man united losing out and uh bonehead's getting lots and lots of grief in the photograph there <laughs>
0: i think think that's the one yeah anyway yes carry on and then you've got um a a nice little uh, speaking of film studies they're, they're sitting watching the good the bad and the ugly
1: i've been looking for you for eight months whenever i should have had a gun in my right hand i thought of you now i find you in exactly
2: the position that suits me i had lots of time to learn how to shoot
1: with my left when you have to shoot shoot don't talk
0: which is a a fantastic film and I my understanding is that it's one of Noel's favorite films but I think again there's something about that which suggests that outlaw spirit, right? It's a, it's a spaghetti western. Those were not mainstream films. These were films that came in from the fringes and challenged the kind of Hollywood machine in a really big way. And you can see a little bit of that in Oasis, right? You know, they, Yeah, 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 for sure. They didn't yeah. come in playing by the same rules as everybody else. They very much came in on their own terms, did it their own way, and bloody well bent the industry to to accommodate them as opposed to what happens with most bands is that they bend and submit to the will of the industry. So I think that that's a really nice little nod. And then of course there's a picture of Rodney Marsh. Towers. Three marked by four. Doyle Marsh Oh he took that superbly at that point would have been the think possibly even at that point was still the record man city signing um and a bit of an iconic figure for all those yeah. uh, blues uh, although i was looking up his his goal scoring stats 35 league goals in 116 games he's shit isn't he really <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's not great is it all right well let's uh let's get into it then let's 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 do this track by track thing that we we are so fond of yeah and i will say i will say
1: i am i'm gonna go flying blind today i haven't written any notes about this i'm gonna go straight from the gut and the heart so let's see how that works out
0: well i'm in exactly the same position i've got um a copy of john harris's the last party in front of me but actually i've not picked it up to read any of these stuff on definitely maybe and then i've got a sheet of blank a4 paper in front of me i kind of am hoping that (laughs) yeah Yeah, here we are. Uh, Right, so Rock and Roll Star kicks it off. that wonders if that is the I don't know whether it's necessarily the the greatest opening to any album ever let's try and steer clear of too much hyperbole but in terms of a calling card for Oasis like if you picked this album up if somebody said to you right you know there's this band Oasis have you heard of them oh yeah I saw them getting interviewed by Zoe Ball on the Ozone they seemed a bit arrogant well yeah they are a bit arrogant but the album's great take it home and listen and they gave you a C90 cassette you took it home you popped it in or you popped it on the turntable does any other song capture the spirit of oasis better than rock and roll star and that's a genuine question i don't have an answer for it
1: i would argue that no there isn't for sure i think when it came when it comes to saying what is i mean i have said this to you in the past i'll, I'll before i go any further I'll, I'll clarify it again i really hate these polls which come up on social media. What is your favorite? What is the best? And it's like, it's all opinion, and I could tell you, but what does it matter? Do you really care? And what? Do, it, it's not. It's not a definitive answer, especially when you say like, what is the best Oasis song? Or like, yeah. But I would say, pushed into a corner, made to say something <laughs> like this, I would say. That, um there are probably two most iconic, maybe three, okay, three most iconic Oasis songs which you should listen to to understand what Oasis is about. They're all on this album. It's rock and roll star. It's live forever. And I would say maybe cigarettes and alcohol. I would also say maybe like don't look back in anger, but that's that comes later. But I yeah, I comes later. Yeah. They, they kind of sum up what oasis were trying to say at the start what they meant to people what how they were trying to connect to people um we will get we'll get to live forever because it's you know it's number three on the the track listing but for me when that came that was something that was a game changer because of its different approach its pace and everything but for me stick rock and roll star on and it's just like we're having it aren't we you know, we We're just having it, and the fact that um, for a long time, well, especially in later in later concerts, they would still open with that. You know, they'd come on to maybe like "fucking in the bushes" or something, and then they would go straight into "rock and roll star." Even 15 years after it was, you know, first released, that's what you you have to play to get the crowd going because that is like that's the calling card as you say that's they were playing that to like one man and his dog down the boardwalk or like at the international two in manchester or whatever they were playing to like a handful of people and their mates and believing it and putting it out and uh it's just rock and roll it's just rock and roll and there's somebody just going just one man just like oh yeah getting getting off now (laughs) And they're believing it at that point, and they still make you believe it every time they play. It, even when like Liam does it on his own in a solo um, situation, you know, he kicks off his solo shows with it most of the time. It's still it's still full of energy and bile and hope, even though they've achieved exactly what the song says. They are rock and roll stars, and uh, yeah, I I don't think you can get as an opener for Oasis. That is that's the business card you hand over. Uh, I would I would argue, you know, as you said, I I'd have big words to say about I want to be adored. But rock and roll star for me for Oasis definitely. You can't you wouldn't open with anything other than that.
0: No, I th- I th- I think I would tend to agree with all of that. And it, it, it is a, a great statement of intent. You know, it is it's confident, it's brash, it's cocksure, it has swagger. And it is forceful, and that you know you're talking about. You know when you hear it, well you're just having it. And I think even if you don't want to have it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you, you're having it. You know, but, but, but by the time Liam sings that opening, uh, you know, couple of lines, "I live my life in the city. There's no easy way out. The day's moving just too fast for me." By that point, you're in you're in and I'm yeah, not yeah. entirely sure that you can ever really get out and I know no. there are people who, who claim really hate Oasis and they may well be, be genuine in that or they may be doing that thing that people accuse me of with the Beatles you know just trying to be in there than now and, and not wanting to like the things that everybody else likes but I, I don't know how even if you don't like Oasis if you've got even a passing interest in rock and roll that that song wouldn't just leave you gasping on the floor yeah. I love it absolutely love it alright so that's then followed up by the song that really acts as the entry point for both of us we've seen Supersonic and we'll get to that in a bit but it's Shaker Maker so I I can remember buying Shaker Maker on on 7H and it's a totally different beast to Rock and Roll Star
1: Yeah, I think the um, the choices for uh, the single releases were very wise, and um, I'm, I'm sure from what I've read and what I've I've heard, Noel had a lot of say over it, and he would he fought McGee on a number of different releases or a number of releases in the in the future from this about which ones should go out, and argued about which was a better song, and stuck to his guns and made sure that the ones that he wanted went out so i think that that first those first three songs or those three singles which came out with shake um sorry um supersonic (laughs) shaker maker live forever i think that's kind of that's that's a kind of a very broad painting panoramic view of what oasis is about i think you've got it's it's trippy and then you have something which is kind of slightly not a comedy record but it's something you think well what's going on here he's talking a load of crap and and yet it's a really good song the shaker maker talking about mr soft and all this business and what's he going on about and i'm sure he's ripping off some like coke advert at the same time and then you get live forever after that which just throws them way up into the atmosphere with that but for me when I heard shaker maker I was like oh, okay There's something going on here. I mean, for me, Supersonic is this super druggy, coked-out, brash kind of plod with very bizarre lyrics. And then they go into Shaker Maker, and it's like woozy all over the place. And again, what's he going on about? Who does that? No one's done that for, like, years. This is going back to, like, I don't know, what, is it heart or something? I don't know what's going on here. It's weird. And yet it's really catchy. I don't know for me after I heard that I was like I have to stick around and listen to these guys uh, everything that they put out after this has to be listened to because I don't I don't quite know what's going on but it's fantastic and that was the feeling I got from Shaker Maker
0: yeah it's it's a very quirky little song it's it's yeah. arguably the most hmm, I need to be careful here I, I think it's arguably two things it's arguably the most for me the most obviously Beatlesy thing, you know, I, I, you and I have discussed this before, Nick, I don't hear the Beatles thing when I listen to Oasis, really. You know, every now and then I get a, a, a whiff of the 60s, but I don't really hear the Beatles thing. But this has a kind of slight hint of, you know, um, I don't know, I Am the Walrus or something, you know, it's slightly trippy, it's slightly woozy, it's slightly peculiar, but I think it's also as well as that, I think it's also the sort of most indie of the singles that they released. Interesting. Supersonic and Live Forever are very, very confident, peddled to the metal, balls out rock and roll songs in in very many ways. You know, Live Forever is this kind of now iconic anthem and we'll get to that in a second. But Shaker Maker has the feel of an an indie band because of its peculiarity And, and it's not quite as robust as lots of other things on the album does that make sense yeah
1: yeah it does yeah i wouldn't go uh, don't, yeah you, you I, don't I,
0: agree. I, no 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 i do
1: agree i do agree actually I, I hadn't really thought about it but you're right there it's not it's not as robust but i wouldn't say that it it's it's lightweight in any way no it has something it has something slightly dreamy about it right it has something with the the uh the lyrics are kind of train of thought or yeah, the, and and the whole tune of it as well is kind of like mm, yeah, it's slower and kind of going on waves, whereas um a, a lot of definitely maybe is pumping and has a lot of glam influences. I think we've talked about this before with with Oasis that we actually think that their um their most obvious glaring influences are more 70s and 60s definitely in a way.
0: Definitely, you know that about and, it. Uh,
1: and I think you're right that saying that this one is a bit more. Yeah, I am. I am the Warriors kind of with the, the original version rather than their version, of course, which is a kind of punk which song. Is,
0: yeah, version. absolutely, it's a punk song. Yeah. All right, then we get to Live Forever, which is a, a song I really. Yeah, I do really love Live Forever, but I think I love it more for what it represents as opposed mm-hmm. to the song itself. The song itself is a great song, you know, it, it's part of that kind of holy or unholy Britpop canon, right? You know, common yeah. people, girls and boys, Live Forever, I don't know, maybe The Drown, You I, I don't know. There's all these songs that are kind of, you know, the, the staples, the, the yeah. Britpop classic songbook. And Live Forever sits in there, whether Oasis liked that or not. But... What I love about Live Forever is that interview with Noel Gallagher where he talks about the fact that, okay, he didn't write it for this reason, but when he heard Kurt Cobain, I hate myself, I want to die, and saw that kind of relentlessly nihilistic bleat, hopeless world view of grunge you know, people lying in, in, in pools of their own filth, giving themselves over completely to that I guess Sid vicious mythology right, uh, you know, yeah. kind of being junkies and you know, living in seedy hotels, or all that kind of rot, absolute rot and no, Gallagher says in this interview At
2: the time it was written in the middle of grunge and all that, and I remember Nirvana the tune called I Ate Myself When I Want to Die which I was like, well I'm not fucking having that. As much no as I fucking like him and all that shit, I'm not, I'm not having that. I'm, I can't have people like that coming over here on smack, fucking yeah, saying I'm that they hate themselves that. and they want to die, that's yeah. fucking rubbish. And I'm not saying it was written directly as a as a retort to that, but that was my thinking, was fuck that man, kids don't need to hear that nonsense. It seemed like to me he was a guy that had everything and was miserable about it. And we had fuck all, and I still thought that getting up in the morning was the greatest fucking thing ever because you didn't know where you'd end up at night, mm. you know, and we didn't have a pot to piss in, but it was fucking great. Mm.
0: I love that because I, I've got a real thing about the concept of hope. I can remember being a teenager and being quite an unhappy teenager, probably a position that I kind of artificially constructed because of my obsession with the smiths if i'm being perfectly honest but (laughs) i can remember stumbling across a quote from oscar wilde i'm probably going to get it wrong but the essence of it was that he said something on the lines of nothing should be beyond hope life is hope that has stuck with me for my entire life And I think that live forever is a kind of musical embodiment of that very concept that nothing should really be beyond hope. It's a it's a very very hopeful song. That idea of just living forever, not saying you know why would you want to live forever? Oh Mm. God, can you imagine? But just saying, why wouldn't you want to live forever? This is fantastic. You know, I I can go out with my mates. I can go to the football. I can listen to records. I can you know steal clothes off the washing line. You know, I can just do whatever it is I want to do. I'm just I'm just gonna have it I'm just gonna live that was a very very different message for a I mean at this point I guess the Britpop bands were still regarded as indie bands really you know that was a really really different message to be sending out you know maybe maybe I just want to fly want to live I don't want to die I mean dear God in heaven the very idea of the Smiths or Joy Division or yeah that's true any of them saying something like that you know for for all that there is a great deal of comfort to be found in you know hearing your own mood presented back to you like joy division do and for all that there is a great deal of humor northern humor embedded into the work of the smiths there is precious little hope there's precious little hope but live forever delivers exactly that it's a punch three and a half minutes of hope mainstreamed into your system
1: yeah absolutely no, I, I agree with all that and uh, and more. I think you've you've nailed it completely. For me, yeah, I, I think um, it's one of these one of these songs which have huge. Um, they resonate very much from the place where they were released. If you know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're, they're a song. It's a song from that time. That time in my life, a time in other people's lives, a time in that. Country at that time, where that's exactly what you wanted to hear without knowing that's what you wanted to hear, what you needed to hear. And um, as you say, it's something which you would not expect a rock band to come out with. That type of song, for a start, I think what I kind of alluded to earlier on is like um, Oasis were releasing stuff which kind of showcased their talents. And this was one of the ones which would surprise the most. And when it did come out, everyone was like, okay, there's something more going on here. This isn't just a one-trick pony. This this band has something deeper. Or this songwriter has a connection to something deeper than just hedonism or kitchen sink drama or bizarre surrealism. This guy actually knows something about what it means to live he knows what something to do with your life my life everybody's lives but it's not about like reflecting how shit it is it's like okay we're in the Maya to a certain extent but don't you just want to like celebrate the things which make you happy in the days that you have one of the things uh which always strike me is when i see the interviews from noel gallagher and he looks back and they always say like you know we didn't have a a pot to piss in but we got up every day thinking that this is going to be the best day of our lives every single day you know you get up you have like 20 benson and hedges you have enough dole money to go to the pub maybe you have a football to go to the park you know but every day had that possibility that it was going to be the greatest day of your life even though you had nothing and that is kind of a message which i think is kind of like the flip side to some of the things that maybe suede or other bands were saying that you know okay, we are telling you the story of what is going on and we yeah, we reflect that and say, yeah, we know it's bad or we know that you're having a rough time and we're going to sing about it so other people who don't have that kind of know about it. I always got the feeling through songs like Live Forever that Oasis was saying, yeah, we kind of know what you're going through. We're having it maybe even tougher than you, but come on, you know, what what's going to happen the next day? What can happen the next minute? Things could change and they're... they're their rise is one of the the stories of that and i think this song kind of sums that up for me do you ever get the feeling that this is um definitely maybe's wonderwall as in like it's a song which you've heard so many times that it's lost its impact now mm. in, in in do you feel the same way about live forever now as you did then i, 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 I would say no but it doesn't change the fact that i love it
0: I th- first of all, I would say it's a better song than Wonderwall. Oh yeah. Wonderwall is slightly more cynical, right? Wonderwall yeah. is is written to get on the radio and mm. is written to chime with as many you know housewives doing the washing up as is humanly possible. <laughs> so it's a better song than Wonderwall, but uh, but. I mean, uh, I
1: like it being ubiquitous. Yeah, kind
0: of, yeah. I I mean maybe i i I don't know i i mean i love it but would it be my first choice of oasis song? the answer is no but i I think i think what the song means and represents is more important than the song
1: yeah okay i accept that too yeah right i'm not, I'm not i'm not i'm not saying that you know what i what i suggested is actually true that it is like this cool. album's wonderful I just wondered because it is one of these songs you know since Liam sung it at the Manchester um, kind of memorial concert um, it's something which is always churned out by both of them and uh, in their solo careers and uh, it is one which um, it's not overplayed but I-, I think there is a certain lot of impact in um, in today's kind of Environment. I think back then it had a lot more punch. Now it's like an anthem. It's one of these ones which you just you wouldn't you wouldn't drop off a compilation album or a, a best of Oasis album. You couldn't leave Live Forever out for that reason.